0: whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God, and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments... Are not grievous. May God bless His Word, and uh, let's let's ask for His blessing. Let's pray together, Father. We're so grateful that we have Your Word, and that we are not reading just some piece of literature from ancient days, but we are reading the living Word of God. That is quick. It's powerful. It's alive. Powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we're thankful that uh, even though every preacher that has ever proclaimed the Word of God uh, has been fallible, has been sinful, that it pleased you by the foolishness of preaching, the imperfect vessel of human beings, that you bless your Word. When it is rightly expounded, you use it mightily. So I pray that you would use your Word tonight. Uh, Pray, Father, that it would pierce our hearts, that it would... Inspire us and motivate us to love You, to love Your Word, and to love Your children. And we ask Your blessing tonight on the Scriptures, in Jesus' precious name, Amen. Especially that last one, when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone. That's going to happen. They're going to be gone. Sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored... Every one of the believers that have walked through and been part of our fellowship that have passed on, they're experiencing that now. And we'll be there before you know it. Really. You know, my kids think I, well, I am. The older you get, the more preoccupied. You know, I never used to read the obituaries. And now I'm like fascinated by, you know, who dies. And, uh, you know, maybe as I get closer to my impending demise... I realize that, uh, you know, we're here for such a short time. And uh, I'm more and more reminded of how short this life is. It is a vapor. And uh, maybe also because for 30 years, we have walked through, we have walked with many precious souls that have now passed the other side. And, um, and we're going there too. That's not a sad thing. Pray for Ethan Alice. As uh, he begins or as he continues. Also, I heard mentioned this morning in Sunday school, I'm reminded that uh, Ethan's grandfather, Bill's dad, is going to the cardiologist tomorrow. He's got some heart issues going on. Um, So please pray for Bill Ollis Sr. Please please pray for Serena. What a blessing. Serena posted something about uh, Portia had made a meal. And Serena said something like, Portia fed us for what would last a week. You know, the meal that Portia made. Um, so that's a blessing. Pray for Portia, Gore, and uh, Amelia. They're traveling today down to Virginia for a family something, family get-together. I forget what it was, but um, uh, they were with us online this morning. They may be with us online tonight. What a blessing to have that. Yeah. You know, that is a blessing. All right, let's go to First John chapter 5. Tonight is, um, you know, there's certain texts, certain passages in Scripture, like when you're going through a book of the Bible... And already, as I study it, you you read some verses that are coming ahead. And and then when I see it, it's, oh, I love that verse. And I've already quoted a bunch of verses in the past that were ahead in 1 John chapter 5 or 4 or 3 when I was doing the earlier ones. And tonight, we are coming to uh, an awesome verse in the Scripture that I've really been, been looking forward to preaching on. Uh, I know I've already mentioned it, and John, as he conti- as he goes into chapter five, and by the way, when he wrote, please don't don't forget, when he wrote his letter, he didn't start out chapter one, chapter two. You know that came way later. So this was just a letter, and and the fir- we're only looking at the first first three verses of chapter five, and he's already he's already talked about everything that he has mentioned except what he says. He says something in verse three that really is a culmination of what he has been building up to. He's already been talking about keeping God's commandments. We already talked about the fact that, you know, chapter 4 is the love chapter. The whole book of 1 John is the love book. Okay, keep that in mind. I mean, just these three verses uses the word agape five times. So we're still talking about love. And we see some of this idea of keeping his commandments. But here's verse 3 is such an important verse. In fact, the title of my message tonight is weird. You, you, you'll see it, and you'll think, wow, that's weird. And I want to tell you why I arrived at the title. The title of the message tonight is Happy Commandments. Happy Commandments? What? Look at verse 3. This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And so we've already heard that thought at least once or twice before in this, in this epistle. This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And now here's the, the great thing. And his commandments are not grievous. So here's what I did. I looked up a thesaurus. Now as you know, thesauruses give you synonyms. But they also give you antonyms. In other words, first... And, and I love... Just like I love the dictionary, I love thesauruses, I love to see all the words. It helps me. It helps you understand the English language when you hear similar, like this word means this, 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 and this. That's what a, uh, that's what a synonym is. An antonym now is just the opposite. So, I, I typed in, in the thesaurus, what is the opposite of grievous? Because remember... His commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous commandments if you love God. And here's some of the words that I got acceptable. So it could have been acceptable commandments. By the way, that's Romans 12, too. Remember, it is your reasonable service. What is your acceptable, accept the will of God? Um, the word bearable, bearable commandments, blessed commandments, comforting commandments delightful commandments you know we don't usually think of commands you know it's a commandment we don't usually think of that um favorable happy that's the word i stuck with happy commandments pleasing tolerable wonderful harmless harmless commandments that would be good harmless you know uh and then pleasant let's talk about the pleasant commandments of god So we we stuck with this um, happy commandments. Because when you love God, and this. so let's work through, I'm going to give you the outline, and then we're going to jump right in. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and that's our outline. Verse 1 is loving the source, that's God, and its fruit. Um, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So, loving the source, that's the one that begat, that's God, and its fruit, the ones that are begotten of him. By the way, this is not a new theme, it's just a different wording. If you love the Lord, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to love the brethren also. Remember, they shall know you are my disciples by your love one for another. That's just just another wording of that. And then verse 2, is loving the fruit and its philosophy. By this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God but when we love God and keep His commandments. And this is not the first time he's brought that up. Now again, it's all going back to loving God. When we love the source, Him that begat, then we love Him, and so we love what He loves. Because we don't want to please Him. And then thirdly, and this is a big point, loving the philosophy of the one that we love and its intent. And Again, this is now verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. Now in the Old Testament we had the law and we understand, especially by the twisting of it by the Jews over the years who ended up Uh, through their uh, oral laws, which then became the Torah, the father laws that some were called, it became so burdensome to keep God's commandments as they were interpreted by the Jews that nobody could do it. Even Jesus couldn't do it. Jesus didn't try, but he didn't need to. But the key here is, when you and I understand and love God, we want to please him. But it's not grievous. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, let's just jump right in. Loving the source and its fruit. First John chapter 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, remember this is he's been beating this drum for a long time. Uh, he goes back. You remember first John or John chapter 1, 1, John chapter 1. They were witnesses of the resurrected Lord of the incarnate Son of God and what they've seen, what they've heard, their hands have handled, they are speaking. And so, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him that begat, He's the one that begat us, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. That's believers, born-again believers. So let's back up for a minute. First, uh, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, we talked about this already in this text or in this epistle. Believing in the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John uh, chapter 2 and verse 29 says, And if ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3 and verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And then 1 John chapter 4, and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So he's just continuing this theme. So I want to ask you tonight, Are you born of God? Are you born of God? That's so important. And that's what this whole thing is about. Examining yourselves. Asking yourselves, am I born of God? It's what we call regeneration. You've been born again. You've been regenerated. You have life. The the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Uh, Let's look at that first part. Uh, We already did that. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now this so again, this is nothing new. First John um, chapter four and verse twenty says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God who he hath not seen? So John is rehearsing all these things again, and he's talking about love, and he's talking about believing. Where the source of that love is, Jesus Christ. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, we, we are born of God. And again, everyone that loveth him that begat God, loveth him also that is begotten of him. That's his, his children. This goes back in my mind. Um, we did, years ago, I did a series on the heart. And our main text was Deuteronomy chapter 6. And verse 4, because a lot of the Lord's teachings really kind of stem from that. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 is where God challenges Israel. And it's a very important prayer to the Jews, even to this day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I think that's called the Shema. And he says, and these words, or verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And that's what God wanted. He wanted their heart. He wanted them to love Him. And He expounds it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Or, it's chapter 6. He said, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And then it goes on. And we're going to go back to that text later because... He says, you know, make it frontlets and make it around the posts of your door. And he, you know, gives these things about he just wanted them to love God. Make it make him a priority to just love him. And over the years, very important to watch what happened. They began to distort. It started out good. They wanted to love God. But then they began to take. These commandments and focus on the externals and as you know when jesus came along they had a long list of external things that they did to show their love for god and jesus was not happy with it and there's so much for us in fact we just wednesday uh we we recently might have been last wednesday who knows in my mind um we were talking about the fact that Jesus I think it was Matthew chapter twelve. No, yeah, Matthew chapter twelve. Jesus is walking along with his disciples on the Sabbath, and his disciples eat corn from a you know a, a nearby field. Jesus wasn't bothered by it. Jesus didn't mind that his disciples were eating corn. First of all, it did not violate the law, but the Pharisees' interpretation of the law It was a big no-no. Imagine this. Here's the Messiah. The Israelites Messiah comes to them and they have so missed it that they end up condemning their Messiah. Just an amazing thing. And as soon as they slammed Jesus, here's what my point was on Wednesday. Jesus said to them, that their words were evil. He said, your words are evil. Because your hearts are evil. He said, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And then he said to them, every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give an account thereof. See, the, the, the uh, Pharisees and the religious leaders, they had so far gone away from the love of God that they in their mind, their religion was just all externals. And doing this, don't doing that. So that when Jesus comes along and his disciples, instead of loving God with all their heart and sitting at the feet of the Messiah, which they missed because they were so preoccupied with the externals and they'd moved so far away from loving God. So that when the Messiah came, they condemned him. And they spoke carelessly. But you know what? By thy words thou shalt be justified, Jesus said. By thy, wor- thy words thou shalt be condemned. And here was a point on Wednesday. I want to share it for you that weren't with us. It's also very important. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here's a quote I came across just this week. This uh, a theologian named Tim Shallies, uh, He's He has a blog and, and um, what a testimony. This guy lost his son. Uh, I believe it was a teenage son. And uh, a couple years ago and, and he writes some stuff. Uh, like he wrote a letter on what would have been his son's something birthday. And it's, it's just really powerful and, and really a good perspective. And, and he's a blessing. But listen to what he said about words. This is a great quote. And this goes along with, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue can be used to lift people up and encourage them. And your tongue can destroy people. He said this, words have immense power. Power to do such good And power to do such harm. Words can strengthen the weak. Or crush them. Comfort the sorrowful. Or grieve them. Relieve the burdened. Or weigh them down all the more. Words can be a taste of life. Or a savor of death. A scent of heaven. Or a whiff of hell. They can do the work of God or of the devil, serve the cause of Christ or his enemies. Words are so wonderful and so terrible, so beautiful and so horrible, so precious and so dreadful. (laughs) That that says it all, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you've been encouraged by people's words. And you've been defeated by people. So I have, and I know you have. And don't tell me you haven't, because we are people. We are human. So, the the first challenge, again, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loves God, the one that begets, loves him that is begotten of him. We love the brethren. Now number two is loving the fruit and its philosophy. Verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. He's already repeated that same sentiment, and keep his commandments. First John chapter two and verse three said, "Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments." Uh, Chapter three and verse twenty-two, and Charlie even mentioned this this morning in the Bible study. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So when we love God, we love the fruit, his offspring. And we love his, the philosophy. In other words, we want we to want delight in the things that God delights in. When you care about someone so much, you end up loving what they love. If they're worthy and they, ha- they love the right things, and God certainly loves the right things. I want you to take your Bible now and turn to Second Corinthians chapter 3. This is a great text here. In fact, one of America's founding fathers quotes from this text. And uh, he was a very godly man. I'm going to read to you that quote in a minute. But this is a key thing that I really think <clears throat> is summarized in 1 John 5 and verse 3. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Look at what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. We uh, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament... Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if, so now he's really contrasting the letter of the law with the spirit of the law. And he says, if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which with glory was to be done away, he's talking about the law, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation, that's the law, the law brings wrath, be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. So we're talking about the letter of the law, the fulfillment of the law, and the spirit of the law. Now I want to share with you, uh, I haven't quoted from this book in a while, it has got to be one of my favorite American history books ever written. Uh, And I'd encourage you, it is called Original Intent by David Barton. Uh, It is just a phenomenal book. And here's what David Barton does that I appreciate so much, is he quotes from primary sources. You know, when I grew up in the public school system, I took history, and it was the most tedious, boring, grievous. It was grievous to study American history. um, Because it was just a matter of, you know, learning people's philosophy and, and dates that meant nothing when I got saved and started going to Bible college, I had a teacher that had a passion for American history because he understood what passion the founders had for God. And that's something that David Barton brings out so clearly. Now, in this book, Original Intent, David Barton does something very important that I think gives us an incredible illustration and application for us when it comes to the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. So let me read to you, I'm going to read you a couple sentences uh, from the book called Original Intent. And uh, one, here's from page 147. He says this, When the intent undergirding a law is abandoned, then that law can be applied in a manner that is totally contrary to intent, its intended purpose. Original intent is talking about the American Constitution and our founding fathers and what they intended by it, which is very clear. But folks, over the years, the original intent, which used to be very, very important, has been pushed aside. And so exactly what is happening in America is what happened to God's law when He first gave it to the Jews, and then they corrupted it over the years to where you have the New Testament, and Jesus comes in, and His harshest words were for those who claimed... To uphold his word. And it is even more so today. And I think that's what John's after in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 3. So he goes on. And he's now, mainly what we're going to do is we're looking at a case as an example. Uh, Just one of the many cases where the founding fathers, which they used to do all the time, when they would apply a law, they would go back. To study what was the original intent of the law. Why did they make up this law? Because obviously they wanted to fulfill the spirit of the law. And, and it came out in a case called the Holy Trinity in 1892. So I believe it was the U.S. versus the Holy, Holy Trinity. Church of the Holy Trinity versus the U.S. 1892. And um, David Barton explains. He says, The controversy which resulted in the Holy Trinity case provided an excellent illustration of the abuse which can occur if a law's intent is ignored. Recall, this about that case, that a zealous U.S. attorney had prosecuted a New York church for employing an English clergyman as its pastor under a law that Congress had enacted solely to halt the importation of slave-type foreign labor to construct western railroads. So do you get this? A zealous attorney took a law that originally was, was had an intended purpose. And By the way, when he talks about a, a zealous U.S. attorney, I could replace that with zealous scribes and Pharisees. You know? So he says, when the court concluded that to prosecute the church under that law would constitute an abuse and a misuse of the law. Take note of this. And now this is a quote from that, um, you know, from the, the the court. What do you call that when they give you their opinion? Yeah, I guess that's it. He said The court said, "...it is a familiar rule that a thing may be within the letter of the statute, and yet not within the statute." Because not within its spirit, nor within the intention of its maker. That describes Deuteronomy 6 big time, does it not? You know, I mean, God communicated, I want you to love me so much. Here's how much I want you to love me. And I think they probably started out saying, we're doing it. And then they got further and further away from loving God. And yet appeared more religious. And and this is profound. This is talking about the Constitution and a law, but I want you to think of it in light of the laws of God. Frequently, words of general meaning are used in a statute. Words broad enough to include an act in question. And yet, a consideration of the whole legislation or of the circumstances surrounding its enactment or of the absurd results which follow From giving such broad meaning to the words makes it unreasonable to to believe that the legislator intended to include that particular act. So they went back, they're like, what's the purpose of this law? And they struck it down. By the way, they don't do that anymore. Dave Barton goes on, it was an elementary principle of the law, and thus the foundational responsibility of the courts to establish the spirit of the law before ruling on any issue. I said a quote this morning from uh, Gleeser, Archer, Archer, Gleeson, whatever, the uh, Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties, how our our goal should be is to, to say what was the intent of the author in any scripture verse. When the author wrote this, be it Moses, be it Isaiah, be it Jeremiah, be it Matthew, be it Luke, be it Peter, be it Paul, when the author wrote this, what was his intent what was he saying that's what we're after Um, so he goes on it it was an elementary principle of law thus a foundational responsibility of the courts to establish the spirit of the law before ruling on any issue signer of the constitution John Dickinson had explained the importance of this principle this is when he quotes our text here whoa did you hear rain out there? I thought there was rain and then I thought I was doing something with my... Okay, so that's the distraction. So this this is the one now where he quotes from our text here in 2 Corinthians 3. Nothing is more certain than that the forms of liberty may be retained when the substance is gone. In government as well as in religion, the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life. Wow. Here's the Holy Trinity case in a, in a real brief nutshell. This, um, In fact, no, in this ruling they, they quoted 13 other examples and one of them I'm going to give you was called the State versus Smith. Actually, let me back up. All right, let me just give you this. Okay, here. Here's one of the, this was called the State versus Smith-Clark. So there's a guy named Smith-Clark. Not Clark Smith. Smith-Clark, that was his name. And um, this was one of the things. The offense, this happened in 1860, and it's being cited in an 1892 case. The offense was described this way, and I'm quoting from the court documents. The defendant, Smith Clark, did maliciously and willfully, now you know we're talking legal jargon, break down 20 panels of rail fence belonging to and in the possession of George Arnwine. Wow, you think things are bad now in America? (laughs) This was bad. He broke down 20 panels of rail fence that belonged and were in the possession of George Arnwine. The law provides that if any person or persons shall willfully break down or destroy any fences belonging to any other persons, they shall be deemed guilty of a misdemeanor. That was the law. Smith Clark, he's now, he's the defendant. He was supposedly the bad guy. He confessed to intentionally destroying George Arnwine's fence. Therefore, under this law, he should be found guilty and sentenced. However, there was more. The defendant offered to show by way of defense that at the several times when he broke down the fence, he had title to the land upon which it was built. And that fence which was destroyed was erected on his land. The fence that Clark broke down was wrongly built by Arnwine on Clark's property. Despite its wording, the law clearly had not been designed to prosecute Clark for tearing down someone else's fence built on his property. Arnwine was the real abuser of the law. And so the court correct And this, by the way, this, this would happen all the time. And the court was so wise. Let's go back. What does this law say, and why was it enacted? That's just like Scripture, folks. You and I got to go back and look at the context of each Scripture and each commandment. What was the context? Who was it addressing? What the, you know, that is so important. So, the court concluded, The language of the act, if construed literally, evidently leads to an absurd result i.e. scribes and pharisees. If a literal construction of the words of a statute be absurd, the act must be so construed as to avoid the absurdity. And then David Barton, he goes on, The legislator felt the intent of the law was obvious. It could never have foreseen such an attempt to misapply its law by a zealous prosecutor. Had the court applied the law solely by its wording and not according to its intent, it would have created an injustice while supposedly administering justice. So, and so again, the Holy Trinity case cited thirteen other court examples. Where uh, here's one. Here, let me. This is I'm throwing this in. This is the one that David uh, Barton actually is leading up to. Previous courts had long applied the principle to cases on the First Amendment. Remember what the First Amendment is? Freedom of religion. Freedom of free speech. Previous courts had long applied this principle to the cases on the First Amendment, consistently finding that the founder's sole intent of the First, the Establishment Clause, was to prevent the federal establishment of a single denomination of Christianity. You know that. That's what the purpose of the First Amendment was, and anyone that tried to use the First Amendment, contrary to that, for years, it would be struck down. Because the original intent meant something. David Barton says, The nation now finds itself under the absurd results, stemming from the courts ignoring the founders' massive documentation concerning the purpose of the First Amendment. Our founders never envisioned that the First Amendment would become a weapon to excise Christian or traditional religious expression from the public arena. I say amen and preach it. That's what's happening here. Is it not? They are—they're using a law. They're misconstruing it, and man, have they misconstrued it? So now let's go back to this. John is saying, "Here's—here's—you love God, you love those who are begotten of God, and you love His commandments." And now, verse three, as we close. First is loving. Loving the source and its fruit, verse 1. Loving the fruit and its philosophy. And now loving the philosophy and its intent. This is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. So, let's go back. If You, you don't need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6. How it all started off. Fast forward now to the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus coming in, and they're condemning Jesus and his disciples instead of embracing him who was foreseen by the scriptures. Here's Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6 and following. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. That's what John's saying and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. You get what God was saying, and he goes on. He said, I want you to love me. I want my thoughts and thoughts my commandments, what I want, I want that to permeate your life. And again, it, it appears they started out that way. And then they started focusing on this, the letter of the law. So, like, all right, the frontlets, okay, we're going to bind the law in the frontlets. And, and so we have the phylacteries and all these g- g- digits, gizmos that were part of the Jewish garb during the time of Jesus, where they literally took the written word and would put it on their body and around their clothing. And like, well, we're following the Lord. But their heart was far from Him. Now again, it all started out good, didn't it? But then it just became a big burden. Big burden. I want you to turn now to to Romans chapter 8 as we close when Jesus one of the in one of the passages where Jesus condemns the Pharisees he says in Deuteronomy 23 and verse 4 for they the scribes and the Pharisees bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born so in their religion that's what they did. They bound heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one finger. And, uh, and then he goes on in that chapter, Matthew 23. He really lays into, specifically the scribes and the Pharisees, and he gives, you know, they, they were like, they would make sure the outside of the cup was white and the inside was dirty. And they, it, clearly they were just all about externals, and their heart had long departed from the Lord. That's our danger today. And I think that's what John's after, when he says in first John you know, five 3, This is the love of God that we can be, keep his commandments. His commandments aren't grievous. Look at Romans chapter eight of verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his Son, own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Wednesday, uh, within the last few weeks, we looked at James one twenty five. Remember how the Bible is likened to a mirror? God's commandments, God's laws likened unto a mirror. But James calls it not the perfect law of condemnation. He calls it the perfect law of liberty. And as one commentator wrote, this statement about that James one twenty five passage, not in contrast with a former law of bondage, but as viewed on the side of its being the law of the new life and birth, with all its spontaneous and free development of obedience, when you and I love God, we want the things that God wants, and our love for God is not—it's—it's it's not that He's a tyrant. And I quote—I'm going to close with close with this quote. I, I shared it either last week or the week before that. Uh, one of the reformers who was very. Uh, intimately connected with the um, the Geneva Bible, made this statement. He said, "But oh, that how oh see how all our works are under the curse of the law if they are measured by the standard of the law, the law brings wrath. But how then, how then would unhappy souls gird themselves eagerly for a work for which they might expect only to receive a curse? You get that?" That is a good point. This is why this is why the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to faith, folks. The law just condemns us. Remember uh, Romans three nineteen for what things? What things were written? What soever were written in the law? Uh, they that are under the law. Let me let me look at it. I got so many verses crowding my mind that now my mind is. Um, not organized. And now we know that what things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So what's the purpose of the law? To condemn us. Well, that's not very nice. Well, we're condemned. We're sinners. But when you and I stand condemned and understand, we're not going to please God by keeping the law because the law works wrath. And that goes back to um, the reformer's statement. See how all our works are under the curse of the law if they are measured by the standard of the law? How then would unhappy souls gird themselves eagerly for a work which they might expect to receive only a curse? Now he's, he's, he's using this to comment on the fact that our God, if you're a child of God, he's your loving Father. Loving Heavenly Father. And so he goes on, he says, But if freed from this severe requirement of the law, or rather from the entire rigor of the law, they hear themselves called with fatherly gentleness by God, they will cheerfully and with great eagerness answer and follow his leading. That's what John's talking about. This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. We follow his leading. And it's not grievous. Before we got saved, it was grievous. And maybe some of you out there have not gotten saved yet. And and the law, you know, that we sing a hymn, um, Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. You need to come square in the face of God's judgment. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You think you're going to be justified by the law. James chapter 2 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. The law condemns us. So we got condemned. In fact, that's why Jesus was condemned on the cross, paid our penalty, washed away our sin. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit so again here's this picture that folks if if you and I were under again how would unhappy souls gird themselves eagerly for a work for which they might expect to receive only a curse but we are freed from that Freed from this severe requirement of the law, or rather from the entire rigor of the law, they hear themselves called with fatherly gentleness by God. They will cheerfully and with great eagerness answer the follow of and His leading. So, as I close, I want you to think about this. Here is the Messiah, the long-awaited Christ, Messiah of Israel, who is born of a of a virgin born in a manger by the way i learned can't wait for this next christmas to come here in 2022 because i i heard an awesome devotional by a pastor about the manger or no the swaddling clothes now don't go online and try and look it up you might come across it and i want want you i want to wait want you to wait till christmas to hear it but here's here comes jesus and he fulfills all these prophecies and he's living among them wouldn't that be cool I know you want, you wish, like I wish. I'd just like to see what he looked like. Oh, I wish they had wish they had the iPhone back then. Maybe just a little video clip. If if we did have that, we'd probably worship it. But the Renaissance picture of the hippie Jesus would definitely not be in our mind anymore. Uh, but we would worship it some way or another. But here's this Messiah. He's come the long-anticipated deliverer of Israel, and the most religious of them that should have been the ones that knew the word, that had studied the word. And here's the Messiah walking in front of them. And they have nothing but words of criticism and slander because their hearts were evil. Again, they as uh, Matthew said Matthew or Jesus said in Matthew twenty three, four, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. I remember a Christian, young man, that had left our church, <laughs> there's so many people, they come through and um, and he was struggling with his walk with the Lord, and he was you know, he had wronged some people in the church. And word got back to me that he, he, was, he was kind of giving up on Christianity for a while because he said it's just too rough to live the Christian life. And that broke my heart. And I thought of this text. God does not want us to be, again, that this rigorous. He doesn't want us to, okay, I'm going to take this on my shoulders and I'm going to, I'm going to attempt this even though I know I'm, not, I'm going to bring nothing but judgment upon myself. And that's what he was feeling. He was so overwhelmed with the fact that he couldn't fulfill the rigors of the law that he missed loving the one that begat him, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to love the Lord. He wants us to love Him. And this is the love of God. Keep His commandments. Ah! And His commandments are not grievous. That's the kind of Father we serve. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would help us to have this proper balance that the the scribes and the Pharisees certainly did not have, that the Jews had so lost long ago. And Father, that many that embrace religion today also miss. So I pray, Father, as we study this love book of first john that you would help us to fall deeply in love with you and father that we would never lose sight of you your person and lord help us not to get sidetracked and lose sight of who it's all about it's all about you Help us to love you more. Help us to love you passionately. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are complete in Christ. And that we don't have any righteousness of our own, but the righteousness which is of Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our.